my name is Matt Mulberry. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, obviously, to Maggie's point, like this is different. I'm used to strolling. Sorry for the ADHD. I'll try to be present in just one particular spot. If, can I go like this? Is that awkward? That feels awkward to me now, right? <laughs> I don't do standing still very well. But to Maggie's point, thank you for braving the, um, the parking elements that present themselves as challenging because uh, um, my family learned, did you ever think about going back? I did, and I had to provide the sermon for tonight. <laughs> I thought about it. This is the space in the worship service that we do as a table where we try to provide some kind of way where our collective stories can root ourselves inside of the sacred text, our tradition stories, and find some nutrients there within. Before we get into that, though, before we get into this Mark text that we're going to be in all the live long year, I want to make sure you hear this. Who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Honestly, like, I'm not going to harp on this because sometimes Debbie says I talk too much about this and it sounds like I don't know what I'm going to talk about after it, and so I'm not trying to do that right now. But it matters that much to me <laughs> where I want you to hear it like that. That's so important. Please take care of who you are outside of your production, the output. Who you are as a person is so much more important than who you are as a producer or performer. And if you hear nothing else tonight, hear that. I want to also create space for this. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, or was it last week? Debbie and I in the table community, we have a lot of relationships and Christian in, in the Israel-Palestine community. I was on the phone an hour and a half ago with a peacemaker over there who was witnessing the rockets around their homes and it's a lot. It's a lot. When we think about just where we are societally, where we are geographically, and we can look across the seas and see all of the terror, the harm, the fears, the ambiguities, the what is happening right now, it is just a lot. You don't have to like line up on one particular side. We will never ask you to do so whatsoever, but we have friends in Palestine, we have friends in Israel, and both would say the same thing, it's a lot. And so in full integrity, before we proceed any further, I would love, if you'll allow me, just to open up this space with a moment of prayer for our friends over there. Join me. God, we are living in a space right now that is, in a lot of ways, unprecedented. Ambiguities, they float over every different angle. Friends are being harmed. People are scared. The weight of not knowing what's next is taxing. It is, you desire more for us than that. God, I don't even know the right way to approach you right now on behalf of a community of people who are looking to you for some kind of solution, some kind of next step. But I ask God that you provide clarity. I ask God that you would be a steady hand amidst this storm. If there are ways that we as a community can respond tangibly, pragmatically, proactively, make it clear. 
But God, just like in Egypt, your children are crying out in pain, in fear. Respond again. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. So for those of you who have been participating in the life of this community for a little bit now, we are going through all of the gospel of Mark for the rest of the year. Probably some change. Debbie, did you hint at that a little bit? Or it's, she's gone. She left already. She's already that sick of my message, Mark. Thank you. Oh, she came back. Thank you, Debbie. We're going through the Gospel of Mark all year long, and I kind of love it. Like, I'm excited about, you know, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of different people, myself included, who are like, church is so 1994, and how do I, like, re-engage with the life of a spiritual community like church once more? But I kind of love that we're doing this Gospel of Mark, which is stripped of any kind of, like, here's your seven best steps to your perfect kind of living, or any kind of sexy salesmanship whatsoever. We're going through the sacred text bit by bit. We're not just hitting the highlight reel, we're going slowly through the mixed. And, and right now we are in Mark, we've been in Mark 1 for about four weeks now. We're in Mark 1, 35 to 39. I'm gonna read the text for you right now, and then we're gonna go back to it. Patty, can you put it on the screen for me? Mark 1.35, I think it might be 36, but I think it's actually 35. Anyways, it says this, very early in the morning, context is this. Last week I spoke to y'all and Jesus was in the synagogue creating a hot mess. He was exercising and evicting demons from bodies. He was, he was getting rid of all kinds of dysfunction that was disturbing the peace at, at the moment. And then later that night, I should have listed this text because I do think context is important. Later that night, after his stunt in the synagogue where he did evict the, the demon and he did evict the dysfunction, people from all over Capernaum, Capernaum, they came to him saying, could you help me with this too? Could you fix this part of my life as well? And the text says that Jesus, after the sun had set, like he was up late healing people, he was doing the good work in the name of love. But this is day two. Very, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. We are under the assumption that that is Peter's house. He left Peter's house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Hey, everyone is looking for you right now. Like TMZ is, is hanging out outside the house right now. The buzz on the street is coming in real loud, real hot. Everybody heard about you. If you came to pronounce some kind of good news, here's the good news. Everyone wants in. What you were selling at the synagogue is playing out in the streets. We all want to be a part of that good stuff right there. Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus seems relatively indifferent when he gives this hard no and says, how about we just go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why, that's my why. This is my why behind why I am here. I'm reading this book right now. Please hold your applause till the end. I mean, it's, it is quite the intellectual accomplishment just to be reading a book in general, but I'm reading this book by a man named Sebastian Younger, who wrote a book called Tribe. Anybody read this book? 
tribe, Sebastian tried to set out to glean whatever wisdom could be found in tribal societies of past and present. And, and trying to say, like, what, what is it about community, belonging, a sense of place and purpose that can be found in tribal societies that is absent in modern society? And so he writes this book, and it is brilliant. I think Jerome, Anna, I think Jerome told me about this book. I told Lauren, I go, I think Jerome told me about that book, but I could not actually remember. So if Jerome did tell me about that book, like, please tell him that I'm mentioning that book, because it mattered to me a lot, okay? In this book, he says a lot of fascinating things. I'm only halfway through it, okay? Kate. But one of the things that is most fascinating to me is in chapter one, he sets out and he starts to talk about this very interesting early American history phenomenon that took place. I had no idea until I read this book. But he says that when the, the first Europeans came across the seas and they landed on this, these shores, they came with their own sense of like, this is what society ought to look like. And there's 10,000 different things we should say about that. Probably more harsh than I have the space to get into it right now. But these early colonizers that came over here and they interacted with a society that had not changed much since the Stone Age. People who had kept intact their way of being, people who have lived this certain way and they had no reason to depart from their norms at hand. And so you had this first interaction hundreds of years ago with Europeans coming across the seas with Native Americans who have always been here. What I did not understand about the culture clash that happened at that time, what I did find out though through Sebastian Younger's book, is that what was happening was through that clash, through these, these two very different cultures, the civilized cultures that was always trying to innovate, build new things, let's push forward, forward, go, go, go. And this other structure that is very much like, let's keep it all intact. You matter, culture matters, tradition matters, tribal affairs matter. What I didn't understand is a lot of Europeans ended up moving into the woods with Native Americans. Especially young men, but also young women. They started to emulate the lifestyles of Native Americans. They started to look up to them. They started to marry into those tribal uh, arrangements. They were adopted by the tribes in the woods. And if you actually, there's a one woman named Jane Seaman Jane Simon, or Simon, where she was so invested in the tribe in the woods that she encountered after being first caught as a prisoner, that when a European search party went out to look for her, she hid from them because she wanted to stay. This was like not just a, a here it happened, there it happened, once every so often it happened. This was becoming a thing. So much so that when Benjamin Franklin wrote home to a friend and tried to describe the land at hand, Benjamin Franklin said this, you know, we've had some people who have been ransomed, people who we have set free from imprisonment with our different, like, conflictual conflicts with the indigenous peoples of this land. We ransomed them. We treated them with all the imaginable tenderness to prevail them to stay among the English, and yet, in a short time, they become disgusted with our manner of life. 
and take the first good opportunity of escaping again into the woods. Sebastian Younger's big point, and the reason why he leads with this story right here and why he harps on it for a minute or two is to say that that impulse to be grossed out by our pace of modern life, that sense of like what we are doing right now, constant innovation, constant hustle, hashtag I'm on my grind, all of it, it's killing me on some level. And so the first opportunity to run to the woods and get a break from what is for a betterment of like what I could actually be, people were taking it. That call to the woods. What's crazy about this early American phenomenon is that it was a one-way street that people were walking to. There were not indigenous folks who were walking into the city and saying, I want a part of that life. It was all city folks who were walking into the woods saying, I want something like that. I had never heard this story before, but I resonated with it all the same. My wife gave me a hard word the other day. You want to stand up, Lauren? No, no, won't be in the spot. Saturday afternoon, she said something to me about how, you know, right now with Matt, you wear many different friggin' hats. You're trying to do a lot of different things. You're busy, we are busy, we, our kids are getting into more things, we're, we're active all the time. Is this who we want to be? <laughs> Actually, she said it better than I could right now. She said, do you feel like we are well? <laughs> That's my wife. And honestly, I said, I gotta go to Stillwater right now to lead a wedding, so I'll talk to you about that later, but on the way home from that wedding, I started to think about that question, do you think that we are well? And I can just speak only for myself and say, I don't think that I am. I think my yeses are too casually given out. I think my calendar is too casually filled up. I think that I'm way too busy for the health of my soul, and yet I'm not doing anything about it. So when I hear stories of people running from the city to the woods, from the busyness and the hustle to some semblance of peace, I go, that makes sense. Because what we have right now in modern society, at least, pardon the projection, it doesn't work. I talked to a friend about this past week, and I said, like, do you, when was the shift? Because I'm, I'm 38 years old. I don't have much time left. Yes, yeah. You know, man, 38 years old. But I remember a time as a child of 1985 where, and you who are 20, you won't understand this, but we once were bored. You know what I mean? Like boredom was a thing that we took on it from time to time. There were times where after school, I would go to McDonald's and I would double quarter pound with cheese and I would just stand in line and I wouldn't get to watch a movie, wouldn't get to play a game, wouldn't get to text a friend wouldn't get to interact in any different kind. I would stand there, and as an introvert, some extroverts also who were in the line for that five-minute span, they would try to interact with me, and I would, it would get weird, obviously. But there, were a t there was a time in my life where we are bored, and I can tell you right now, I don't think that is anymore. I don't think it's here anymore. Even this morning, I took my kid to our 8.30 soccer game, and on the way there, we're talking about a 15-minute drive to the game. He said, can I watch 
some of Meg too. And I said, I just don't think that's very appropriate for a kid to watch. And so we proceeded to listen to Eminem the rest of the way and, <laughs> and keep it PG. But like that is the idea at hand, is there's a readily available, available like dispenser of, of dopamine that can hit us at any kind of moment. My wife asked me, are we well? I've been so next hit to the next hit to the next hit, going, going, going. I know at my heart of all my hearts, like I know I'm not probably well right now. I'm not where I want to be. Matter of fact, I'll follow it up and say that after that wedding that I ran off to, on the way home, I turned off the radio, the music, any kind of sound or distraction, and I thought about it further. And I started to play out in my head and go like, am I well? Well, I mean, now is, it's one thing to answer right now, but if I stay in the current trajectory at hand and I don't actually depart from the path, do I want to be who I am right now at 40? At 50, at 60, it, it, would I be excited about where I'm at? Honestly, soberly, I looked at the answers that were coming up in my head and I said, I might be successful, but probably by a lot of wrong metrics. I might be busy, getting a lot of rounds of applause, but probably not for the things that I want to be cheered for. Because I will still be quick to snap on the people that I love the most. My patience will still run thin. I still will be giving way too many yeses to things I should say no to. All because I have not actually taken care of that inner call to go back to the woods. Back to simplicity. Back to stability and what I would argue is also sanity. Jesus often went back to the woods. Context, the, uh, the text that we just read. When you read Mark 1, we are in Mark 1 still. Out of the gates, we have Jesus who is going straight into the woods looking for his infamous cousin who is the wild preacher by the river, and he finds him, gets to him, baptized by him. And then immediately, the text says, the spirit drove him into the woods. Now break that down real time, okay? Assuming that no angel wrote the, the words of scripture down on a paper, but this was translated from Peter's sermons to John Mark, and he put it down for us to preserve for all time. Think about what is actually being said. When, G, when it says that Jesus was compelled, the word driven into the woods is achbalos, which means you were like violently almost thrown into the woods. You were pushed out there. You had no choice in the matter. You had to get to the woods. Immediately, Jesus went to the woods to look for his cousin, went into the water with that cousin, was sent immediately back into the woods by the Spirit. For the longest time, I had looked at that text right there and it struck me as odd because I felt like, you know, I mean, at some point Jesus does say, spirit is our advocate, spirit is the comforter, spirit is the one who is on our side to see our flourishing, see us like live life in life into the full. So why is spirit in cahoots with the tempter who comes to tempt us? Because that's what it felt like right now. You tell me that the spirit drives you out to the desert drives you out to the woods, drives you out to simplicity, abandonment, solitude, and silence, and at your weakest moment, 
when the tempter comes to tempt, you're vulnerable. That's how I read out, and that, that's, again, pardon the projection, but like when I think about the dumbest choices I've ever made, a lot of them are tied to when I was most tired, most exhausted, sometimes most hungry, at the end of my own particular rope. So it makes sense to me that is when the tempter would come to tempt. But when I read all of the Gospels in their totality, and I look at again and again, particularly in Luke and not in Mark, Jesus is bombarded with the busyness of life, the chaos of life that demands upon him, and immediately he retreats to the woods. The Greek word is erosmos, which is not necessarily woods, it's more like the lonely place or the quiet place or the hidden place, the place away from the people. When I read the totality of Jesus' life and how every time things hit a fever pitch and they get really, really loud, he runs out to the woods. I recognize that the Spirit drove him out there because eventually at some point he's going to be tempted by the tempter. And when that moment comes, he might as well be at full strength. The woods is not a place of weakness. The woods is a place of strength. And so last week when we read the next part of Mark 1, and Jesus goes into the synagogue, and he causes a hot mess, and he evicts demons from bodies, and then he heals bodies late into the evening, we would think he would sleep it in the next day. We would think he would get a nice, like, breakfast before him, but instead our text at hand says he got up very early to go back into the woods. TMZ outside. Hashtag Jesus is the best show in town. That's not a real hashtag. Don't look it up. But Jesus got up early while it was still dark and went straight back into the woods. Lauren asked me that question on Saturday. Made me think about my why for tomorrow. Why do I do what I do? How do I understand my purpose? How do you understand your purpose? When you think about your life story, how do you understand your life story? What is your why? Because the moment that Jesus goes into the woods is exactly like the moment all of us try to find any kind of solitude and silence. I have hidden my bathroom for two hours straight at one point to avoid my kids, and I promise you there was knuckles on my door five minutes within. They think I have bowel issues, but it was, I have kid issues. I couldn't get away from them, Maggie. Oh, don't act like you don't understand, Maggie. Get off of your high horse. You've been in that same bathroom. We are all trying to figure out, like, how we can actually carve out space amidst the business of life, amidst all that is coming at us right now. And there's always a Peter there going, like, but man, like, couldn't we be productive instead? Like, can we capitalize on the moment at hand right now? This is not an everyday occurrence. Right now, you are the hottest show in town. Why would you not maximize that? And yet Jesus, he refuses to give up his purpose for his tomorrows because of whatever preference he might have for today. He says, you know what? No, let's go somewhere else. This is why I've come. Let's go somewhere else.
this is, I'm, I'm on the couch right now, y'all are my therapist, but I'm telling you from my vantage point, it is so helpful to remember that unless I sit down in sync and think clearly and create space, what on earth do I have to stand for? How could you actually expect an authentic why out of me if I haven't sat down in silence prior to? There is no why without the woods. There is no this is why I'm here unless I go there. That is not just true for me, that is also true for you. You cannot step two feet within a Barnes and Noble without some kind of book on mindfulness and awareness hitting you across the head. This is the cry of our age that we are in. We are in a moment right now, we are moving at a pace that is irresponsible, irrational, and I'm not like some Luddite who would say that all progress is, that's not it at all. I'm just saying like, while I'm grateful for the progress in medicine, science, technology, and everything in between, we ought to at least be aware of the cost that has come. When is the last time you've created space to do nothing? When is the last time you've created space to engage with God? Boredom, 1985, child of that age. As much complaints as I would say about that, I also will say that all those moments of boredom, they were potential portals of prayer and connection to God, which in return would have led me to be more present with my people. I pledge to you right now, to my wife right now, to our community at hand, I don't want to live anymore going from one thing from the next without knowing why. I don't want to live without the woods. If you are an apprentice of Jesus, somebody who admires Jesus' ways, regardless of what you think about the divinity of Christ or anything like that, but if you look at that life and you go, that is a beautiful life and that's the aesthetic that I want to hold my life accountable to, you cannot bypass how often he goes to the woods without wondering why you don't do the same. My prayer for our community is that even if we are like me, ADHD, busy all the time, cannot sit still for two seconds, can't be behind a music stand, <laughs> we'd figure it out. That we'd move slower through our days. Love requires slow moving, deep breathing, intentional thinking, not just reactive folk, proactive folk. We need to figure it out. We need to figure it out. What does it look like for you to respond to that call within you to go back to the woods, the silence, the solitude? It might be five minutes a day, it might be 10 minutes a day. Whatever it looks like for you, it does matter. It does matter. Jesus, God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us um, the faith to believe that it matters. <laughs> I need to believe that it matters, God. I, I, I look at your life, Jesus, and I think about how this is such a common occurrence in your life. This is such a habitual way that you lived. And if I'm going to take myself seriously as an apprentice of yours, 
this has to be in a, a, a habitual way that I live. God, give us the wisdom, the clarity, and even more important than the conviction to carve out the spaces in our lives where we can just be not as performers or producers, but just be with you so that we can walk out not just with our preferences in mind, but also with our purpose intact so that we can know why we do what we do. All God's children, together we say, amen. What I love about the text is that it's a reminder that it's the both and. Because the text was about Jesus being present out in the woods with God himself, the pause, the quiet, that I would guess most of us in this room would say is hard. I'd say it's hard for me because everything's a good thing, right? Every yes is why not. But the beauty is, is that, or maybe the truth is, you can't be fully present to others unless you actually take the time to be quiet and to be present. You can't do the other kind of presence well. And when as Matt was talking, I was thinking about I am in the season, although he thinks it's almost over at 38, at 63, I'm in the, in the season where a lot of my peers are losing their parents or have lost their parents. And I've, so I've been at a lot of funerals in the last few months. And every single time I'm struck by how the beauty of their story, the beauty of their life, and it wasn't because they had accomplished this and they'd done this. It was because they were present to the people that they loved. I mean, that's, that's the full life. That's the life worth living. I was thinking about how much it takes courage in this culture today to step out of that busy, crazy life. And I could name a half a dozen people in this community who have had the courage to step out of something so that they could pause and be healthy and be well and be present to God and self. That's a beautiful thing. I love that message, Matt, because I think it couldn't be more relevant to this time and space in our culture. So this God that we follow, this Jesus who was present out in the woods and present with community, is who we remember when we take the bread and the cup together. And we take the bread and the cup tonight as we, we are guests of this space, this warm space that's been around for over 100 years. It, it makes me think about the stories and the number of people who've taken bread, drank from the cup, have experienced the presence of God in their lives in that moment and the other moments of their lives. And it's sort of overwhelming to think of the thousands and thousands of people who've probably come up over the hundred years and taken the bread and dipped it into the cup. So tonight we do just that. We remember this Jesus who is present in our life no matter what's going on in our lives. And on the night before Jesus died, he took bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He took the cup, he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. 
when you drink from this cup, remember me. So during the music, we invite you to come forward. There'll be servers up here. You can take the bread, dip it into the cup, and be reminded of the presence of God that is in our lives. Please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.